You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Everybody, it's your friend Poser, and I'm trying to be chipper, but I'm holding a very long knife because let's face it, things are bad right now in sneaky good land. It's not even sneaky, it's it's outright bad. And I'm joined by Max. How's it going? Are you feeling as depressed as I am? <laughs> well, as Mets fan, um, kind of, yeah, yeah, the Mets have taught you how to do this. Yes. Oh, I'm I'm seasoned. And also joining us is Zach, who was kind of taught how to deal with this kind of pain to the predators, but not nearly as much. Guys, I'm going to Kentucky on Saturday. Do you think that Ed Ogeron is going to ask me to give him a ride home, or should I just leave him at the tarmac? To he might need a ride. Uh, I'm not going to lie. If he uh, if he asks you to go fishing. You know, avoid Yeah, that. just don't. <laughs> just avoid all fishing trips with Ed Arzron. Oh. Uh, Ed, I also have a sister, so. Um, oh, no. <laughs> oh, my God. All right. Um, we're almost a week since the LSU-Auburn debacle. Um, and before we got on, I was talking about it with Podcat, our producer, who is quietly sitting in the background. And Astros! He's watching the Astros beat Tony LaRusso, the face of evil. And we were talking about how it never felt that LSU was a dominant team. They never looked like their best selves in the game. But Auburn looks like a really bad football team. And the fact LSU couldn't put them away is just uh, – I don't even know what to say about it. Yeah, the fact that – LSU is the reason Bo Nix is getting undue praise is 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 really rough um, because he was he, I mean yeah he made three bananas plays but like on almost all of his other snaps he was pretty bad um, but like there's always that one game where Bo Nix uh, you know looks okay on the surface and then everybody freaks out and it's like oh Bo Nix is you know he's breaking out. And for the last two years, that's been at LSU, and that's really rubbing me the wrong way because Bo Nix is terrible. And also his numbers were bad. He went 23 of 44 for 255 yards. That's not good. I mean, (laughs) and he had these like three or four banana pants plays. And honestly, if you just stop the first one, if if his knee is down, if a lineman wanders downfield, if the receiver drops the ball, just any of those things happen – Auburn doesn't score there. It's fourth down. LSU gets the football. And the game's probably over at that point because Auburn was showing no signs of life. Yeah, once they figured out what to do on defense, once they figured out that they can just drop eight and nine like they're playing Mississippi State, uh, LSU was kind of done doing any significant scoring, so they may have been able to climb back into it. How? Well, I mean – 
they would have just had one fewer touchdown. Like, they would have lost, but I don't think the game would have necessarily been, like, I don't think LSU would have kept pouring it on and ended it. No, I think think Auburn just stopped. That was the moment. There are times in college football games when teams give up, and that was a give-up moment. Like, that sparked Auburn. Like, before that, that team was lifeless. And if they fail on that drive, they come away with nothing. It's 13-0. LSU's been driving up and down the field on them. They're lucky to only be down 13. I just don't see – I think that's the the play where Auburn, unless LSU has like a major turnover or just a, a complete bonehead, which obviously could, ha- could have happened, I think that's the moment where they're just like, eh, well, this just isn't our night, and it gets out of control from them. But because it stayed close, all of a sudden it's 13-7, their energy goes back up, and all of a sudden they're engaged and we have a football game. And it was basically Poser's Law personified. Yeah, it really. Yeah, this was. game kind of reminds me. It kind of reminds me not not as nearly as a drastic, heartbreaking, terrifying loss way, but uh, the the 2018, or I guess technically 2019 NFC Championship game, the Saints Rams game, the the no call. Um, New Orleans got up 13 nothing, but they they intercepted Jared Goff like at his 20, and and uh, and Dan Arnold, uh, a tight end, dropped a touchdown pass. And after like an awesome quarter, you look up and you see it's all, it's only thirteen nothing. Yeah, that doesn't feel like it's going to be enough. That's that's a perfect. And, and it wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't enough that day in January. It wasn't enough Saturday. And it's just like like you said, you you kick you kick field goals instead of scoring touchdowns, and it, it lets those guys that other team hang around long enough, where a touchdown down twenty one nothing is nowhere near as uplifting as touchdown. 13 up to making it 13 seven, like with Auburn, it was like, Oh hell. Okay. Well, we're in a game now. And also let's not pat ourselves on the back for the touchdown. I mean, before that they had a missed snap, which lost 21 yards. So even that was begging to be a field goal. I mean, LSU got into the red zone and was simply awful. And the only way they scored in the red zone was actually falling out of the red zone. Yeah. Well, I mean, the tough thing about playing in the red zone is that like, those passing windows get constricted because nobody's afraid of necessarily getting beat over the top because there's no top, to, you know, to throw to. So, you know, when that gets difficult and, like, you can't operate unless you're kind of presented a good situation, you got a lot of space to operate, uh, I mean, you can't – you start to struggle. Like, we've seen this so many times. Like, we even saw it with Joe Burrow in 2018, like – their offense was generally somewhat okay, and then they got to the red zone and they couldn't do anything because the windows got tighter, and that's that's where you have to be perfect. Um, and, and and they're not, and they can't run the ball either, so people are still dropping like eight guys into coverage in the red zone when you don't have to worry about getting beaten over the top. There's just nowhere to go with the ball at that point. I mean, yeah, and also, like, this is not an instance. I mean, Bo Nix is the one who gets the headlines because he had a couple crazy plays, but – I don't think this is an instance of, like, Auburn's this gutty team that, you know, rallied back and won the game. Auburn looked bad. LSU lost this game to a bad football team. And you start looking at the schedule and you're just like, where are the wins going to come from? Because if you can't put away bad teams, I mean, that's the key to a winning record, basically, is beat who you need to beat. And, I mean, that was what was encouraging about State. I mean, State's not that good either, but they put them away. And you let Auburn up off the mat. Now you got to hope Kentucky is a you know a mirage. And then after that, I mean, who's left on the schedule that 
LSU looks like they can beat. At this point, A&M looks like the easiest game on the schedule after Kentucky. After ULM. Well, yeah, ULM. Okay, in conference. Yeah, I mean, like, there there just isn't really an easy or, like, really a, attainable win on the schedule after this. Like, I mean, I think they could probably – could probably beat Arkansas if Arkansas like plays poorly. But then again, like the way Arkansas's defense is designed is exactly what you would do to stop this LSU offense in its tracks. So I mean like that's that's a bad scheme matchup and that's they and Texas A&M are the two worst teams you play. Uh Texas A&M is good at rushing the passer. Uh LSU's not good at blocking. So I mean it's like the 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 winnable games are also kind of the at least ostensibly winnable games are also really bad matchups. So you kind of have to beat the Auburns when you can. And UCLA's for that matter. UCLA is not good. Yeah, UCLA, but yeah, like, just, I mean, right now, the UCLA game wasn't really winnable because it just, the way the game went, there was never really a chance to win that game. So, but LSU right now should be sitting at 4-1. They should have beaten Auburn. I mean, even how that game was going, they, they could have put that game away in the first half. They didn't. You let a team up off the mat particularly when they have something crazy like Bo Nix, it's going to bite you. And if you're at 4-1, you're not playing well, but you're at least like, hey, at least you're winning. You know, you can find two or three wins on the schedule. You're just thinking, okay, minor bowl. It's a down year, but, you know, down years happen. And you can kind of rationalize stuff away. But this really feels like a bottom falling out kind of loss where things can spiral well out of control if you lose to Kentucky this weekend. Yeah, we we like to do this thing as LSU fans, where you know if they if they start the SEC play zero and one, it's like oh god, we're gonna go uh, one and seven, two and six, or zero and eight, and it never really happens that way. I remember that was the fear in fourteen after Mississippi State and Dak Prescott beat LSU, and it's like oh god, what are we gonna do? And and it worked out okay. This is different. This is all the teams, or just about all the teams left on your schedule, are better than you. Or if they're of equal talent, like uh, like an Ole Miss or a Kentucky, it's at their place and you have to go on the road. Or it's just a flat out uh, awful matchup. And right. just, like uh, I just I don't see the path for them to finish better than five hundred in conference. Yeah, I think what Austin is just it feels like everything is going wrong. Like even in their wins, they were just barely holding on for life. You know, you know, to kind of have the fingertips on it. And you're just looking at, you know, Derek Stingley. Anybody think he's going to play another down for LSU? Uh, no. No, no. Um, Absolutely not. John Emery, anyone think he's ever going to play another down for LSU? No clue. No, probably not. Absolutely not. Um, you start looking around, you know, Anthony's out for the season. Um, you're starting to drop bodies. Um, your big uh, transfer coming in d- didn't do anything at, at linebacker. It, it, where is he? Is he handcuffed to a radio? I hope so. Like, because, what are they doing? Because with he, them? you know, when he's on the field, he's completely invisible. So, uh, um, whatever they've moved, and also they're only playing two linebackers anyway. And you know, give credit to the guys out there. They're, you know, Baskerville's doing pretty well, and Clark against the run. And Clark is he's making a ton of tackles. He, I mean, he's yeah, he's he's having a much better year. But that's just against the run. Like when teams start throwing play action on him in cover one, and they have to get deep on those over routes, it's going to be a bloodbath. <laughs> I mean, this is just a team where just everything is going wrong. They, I mean, 
most of your, you know, a lot of your big star players are hurt. You can't run the football. You could kind of throw the football, but not that well. And you can't block anybody. You can't stop the run. And what was supposed to be an elite secondary is incredibly banged up. There's not a whole lot left to hang your hat on for this team. Yeah, Kayshawn Boutte can, you know, he only plays one of 22 positions. Besh looks really good, too. So we've got two. Yeah, that's true. Jack Besh, I think, actually has a higher PFF grade right now than Kayshawn Boutte. Well, then PFF needs to work on their formula because that's just crazy talk. (laughs) Seth. Yeah, we need need to find Seth and be like, what's the matter? Sneaky good alum. I don't think his PFF grade is that crazy. Um, even I mean, it's like mid seventies, and which is likely to regress toward high eighties, low nineties, somewhere around there. But like, I mean, it's like he's such a big play guy. But there are a couple of snaps where he will get he'll get beat on a rep in a way that you don't expect from elite receivers. But he's still early in his sophomore year, so that's going to get that'll probably be gone by the end of the season. But like, I kind of get it. Uh, that's like Jack Besh is asked to do a lot less. He's asked to beat man coverage, you know, one-on-one on the outside a lot less, which is kind of why you see, like, for instance, Jalen Ramsey's grade is in the, was in the 70s last year. But, like, his respo- the, the responsibility they put on him in coverage was greater. So you kind of have to factor that in. But, no, Keishon Boutte is still really, really good. Don't worry. Oh, he's clearly our best player. And yeah. the way things have been cursed at LSU right now, he's just not going to play his junior year. Um, oh no way, no way! But it's on maybe thirteen, and, and that's kind of what gets into it. It's just you're looking at Coach O, and if we take a step back and look at his whole career, and I, it, the the narrative that's forming about it is that nineteen was this one magical year, and it's this complete outlier, and that's not really true because he came in midway through sixteen, and um, I think that's right, uh, and he. Uh, he turned the, he got the offense working again, you know, won the job. And then 17 happens and it looks really early that it's going to spiral out of control, but he seizes disaster, you know, you know, right as it's about to fall in there and they go on a really good run. They get some big wins. And then that goes into the 18th season where they make the Fiesta Bowl. They're a really good team all year long. Um, I mean, they're a top 10 team. And then 19, I mean, obviously is, is you know, it, but they were working up to it. It wasn't like this flash in the pan. Right. You could see, and also what was great about it, particularly with 2017, it's kind of the season that I think about right now, is that everything was going wrong early, and Orgeron was so good at assessing what was wrong, what wasn't working, and fixing it right away. He wasn't tied to anything. He was this really pragmatic, you know, on-the-spot kind of coach, and you know, this really flexible thinker, and you look at this team, and I just got to ask, where the fuck is that guy? He's a, uh, he's a, uh, he's at a uh, fishing hole somewhere in the bayou. Uh, yeah, and that's where it kind of comes down to. Is you have like these, those old stories when we got hired of like you know him ripping off his shirt and you know yelling at guys. You know, um, Stephen Godfrey, you know when he attacked him when he was working for SB Nation. I mean just. You know, always having run-ins with people and yelling at guys, you know, eating coffee grounds, which, God, like, that guy needs more caffeine. Um, but it, he kind of comes to LSU and it's, it's like he he grew up and he put all that stuff behind him. He's like, hey, that was – I learned. 
And not only did he say it, he walked the walk. He showed, hey, look, these are all the mistakes I made. This is how I'm going to do it right this time. And it was really encouraging to see this guy like seize his dream, basically. And, you know, there was the whole joke, finally, we have a coach that doesn't talk funny. But, you know, this is a guy, you know, Louisiana, born and bred, dreamed of playing for the Tigers. And, you know, now he's the coach and this is a dream job for him. And after it looked like his career was in the toilet 10 years ago and, you know, somehow rallies it all the way back. And it's this real triumphant story and it, you know, ends in 2019. And ever since then, it's just like a different guy. And it's really sad to just watch a guy who had made such personal improvements and, you know, become his best self in 2021. That seems like he's back to the old Miss version of himself where, you know, he's yelling at the fan before the game and, you know, there's the fishing trip story now and he's getting in fights with boosters and you're just like, it seems like it's more than just football. It's, it's like watching a guy's life unravel. And it's really, really painful to watch. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's 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 almost harder than watching the football team because we've all seen, you know, a football team struggle and fall apart and it doesn't matter. Well, I mean, it, you know, it matters because, you know, it's these kids' careers and everything. But, like, you know, it, it it's still ultimately, you know, a thing you do. It's an activity. It's not your life. And, like, you know, watching, you know, these kind of this kind of deterioration reflected you know in the slipping away of his dream job after just the storybook movie ending in 20 2019 shows you what happens you know when there aren't credits to roll the secret to a happy ending is knowing when to roll the credits drive by drive. Right, he should have after 2019 yeah and, and like yeah he, he might have because everything since then has been bad but not just professionally but personally i mean getting the divorce and now there's all of the rumors of, you know, dalliances around town. You have the, you know, the Hush Blackwell report, which, you know, is a huge black eye for the university and Orgeron's implicated in that as well for, and it's just, and yeah. And I mean, that's all off the field stuff. So it's, this felt like a guy who had, I don't know, completely flipped his life and changed the story of his life. And, you know, it ends with him being celebrated. And two years later, it's like, you do wish he had just walked away right then. And not just from an LSU standpoint. I mean, for him, I think he'd be happier. Yeah. And, and, and the thing is like, nobody could have reasonably predicted this because it's not like, it's not like the Gene Chizik situation where he had Cam Newton carry a bad roster to a championship. He had a top to bottom elite roster that produced a host of NFL players. uh, And, that he, you know, almost exclusively recruited and developed, like he made a complete great football team that was well, that was, had the best schemes on both sides of the ball. Obviously didn't hire Dave Aranda, but he kept him around. You had Dave Aranda calling your defense. You had Joe Brady and Steve Insminger calling your offense. You had, you know, you, you went out and you dug Joe Burrow away from Cincinnati. You, recruit Jamar Chase and Terrace Marshall, and you dig Justin Jefferson out of nowhere. Like, that was real. Like, that wasn't Gene Chizik's obvious mirage. Like, it was all real, and that's the thing. Like, it's 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 not like he was a fraud the whole time. He's just different now. This kind of leads into a question I got on the uh, Valley Shook Twitter. I was taking questions for this week's podcast. Jacob Hibbert asks, 
at this point, do we want the change? And I'm assuming he says change, he means coaching change to be made sooner or later. And I'm assuming he means, do we want this to be a in-season change or wait till uh, the regular season, after the regular season? In a way, it doesn't matter. Um, I mean, I think the decision has to be made. I think it has been. I'm going to lie. I I think he's – Woodward – is a guy who is going to make his bones on, on coaching hires. That's, you know, he's made no secret of trying to make splashy hires and stuff like that. And, Oh, wasn't his guy. I, I think it's very possible that mentally he has already moved on. I don't know that, you know, we don't, you don't have anyone on the inside, but whether he fires him now or at the end of the season doesn't really matter. It matters what, you know, the AD is doing. I think the real problem is this. Let's say you fire coach out. You know, you, 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 they lose to Kentucky. You satisfy the, you know, the bloodlust. You, you leave them on the tarmac. Who do you promote? I mean, who's the coordinator you can say, I trust to run this team? There isn't one. I mean, the most obvious guy is Corey Raymond. And he's never been yeah. a coordinator before. Never, never been a coordinator, never been a head coach. I guess it's got to be Raymond by default. I mean, he, the players love him. You you would think the players would play hard for Corey Raymond. I I think so too. But Corey Raymond, but he, I I agree. But that's not going to fix anything. No, it doesn't. It doesn't yeah. fix anything. And also, you have the problem of this. Okay, now you've made Corey Raymond your interim head coach. Great. Now the season ends, and you're probably not going to make him the full time head football coach. Have you now just lost Corey Raymond? Because you're going to have to demote him. Yeah. yeah, and at this point, can and I don't I don't know Corey Raymond's age or how long he's been coaching. I'm assuming Raymond has higher aspirations than being uh, a defensive backs coach at LSU. Uh, he he wanted the defensive coordinator job, and he got passed over it. I I don't know how you can tell him one more time. Yeah, hey man, be our be our corners coach, be our be our safeties coach, and because he'll pack up and leave it. And I won't blame him at some point. You got to do something else. Yeah. I, and he's, he's, he's the best secondary coach in college football for that fantastic recruiter, but kind of like almost like the reverse Ryan Nielsen thing with the, the Saints was like, I got to advance my career. I got to go do this before Sean Payton interfered. Raymond eventually has got to look out for him. No, I totally agree. And honestly, it's looking like an even bigger mistake, not promoting him in this off season. I mean, I understand if you could have gotten, some of the big names they were chasing, obviously. Yeah, true. You know, if you yeah. get like a nationally respected name, okay. But to get Durante Jones over him, like there comes a point you have to say, hey, we're going with our internal candidate. Uh, yeah, I mean, Durante Jones was promoted from a defensive backs coach position. So, I mean, like at that point, what's the difference? Yeah, exactly. At, at least keep your guy. Uh if he's just going to run the Pete Carroll cover one system that Ed Orgeron wants him to run, Corey Raymond could have done that. Yeah, and it would have been – at least you would have – Corey Raymond would have gotten the job. Uh, he's a guy I feel really bad for. And honestly, when you start looking at like Orgeron's hires, his – someone had put a post on uh, – comment on one of her posts. When you look back at his coordinator hires have been a disaster. I mean, his most famous good hire wasn't even a coordinator hire, which is, you know, Brady. 
Yeah. But Brady actually was just the passing game coordinator, and he worked under Ensminger. Yeah, was that also wasn't it Ensminger's idea to go bring a guy? in? I think it was because Ensminger and Ensminger yeah. was the guy who was just doing you a solid. Remember, Ensminger was the guy who got right. promoted in 2016 just to you know keep the lights on. But almost every other hire he has made, I mean, Matt Canada's bad, Bo Pelini obviously, um, Jake Peets is not working out very well. Durante Jones isn't terrible, but whatever. I mean, it's you just look at this run of hires it for a guy who's supposed to be the CEO coach. Hey, I'm just going to run things. I'm going to bring in great coordinators to run stuff. He basically kept Dave Aranda. I mean, any of us could have done that. Yeah. I mean, lowest bar, like when Ed Orgeron was first promoted, I remember everybody saying like, you better keep Dave Aranda. You better keep Dave Aranda. And I mean, obviously everyone, everyone knew to keep Dave Aranda. So, so yeah, so like if you fire someone midseason, if you fire Orgeron midseason, I don't think it does anything. There's no one I trust to run the team except for Corey Raymond. But I honestly look at this. I think we're going to lose Corey Raymond no matter what unless we bring in somebody who can sweet talk him like there is no tomorrow. You honestly would have to honestly would have to co- hire a defensive coach to be your head coach who would then let Corey Raymond be his DC. Because if you bring in like an offensive mastermind, he's probably going to want you know one of the big names. So I'm just assuming you fire Orgeron, you're losing Corey Raymond as well. But you look around the rest of the staff, who else do you want to keep? I mean, Vicky Joseph can recruit, but other than that, there's not a whole lot of guys. I'm like, wow, we got to keep this guy. I mean, it depends on who the head coach is and kind of what their background is. If they have a guy, you know, they would come with that's really good. Uh, but like Mickey Joseph, I would be I would be fine with keeping. Uh, he's done a good job. Um, like I guess Brad Davis hasn't gotten a chance. See, and, but, got, but that's the thing again. It's like it's and, guys I'd be fine with keeping. But there's no one like oh, we gotta keep yeah. this guy. You know? No, there isn't. There's I, no except I disagree. For I think I think Greg McManza have to keep guy. Okay, uh, he's the special teams guy though. Like I mean, like eh. He's, he, he's not a sticking point. Like if a coach, if, if you want a candidate, like let's say, I don't know, James Franklin hypothetically wants to bring his special teams guy. That's not stopping the deal for me. Max, are you reporting James Franklin to LSU? I am. Huge James news. Franklin. Breaking news. <laughs> James Franklin slid in my DMs today and said, I don't want to play Iowa. Their defense is going to make Sean Clifford look horrible. Get me out of here. And I said, I got an I got an offer for you. I'm going over I'm going over Woodward's head here, but you know, come take the LSU job. I, I, the big thing is you do need to make a decision quickly because of how recruiting now works with the signing with signing day essentially being in December now. You need to have a coach yes. in place in December. So do not lose Will Campbell either. So I would say, it, yeah, it, if you are going to fire or if you're going to fire Orgeron, you need to make the decision before the end of October because you need to have a candidate ready to go before signing day. Right. Hey, one more coach. We this is an awkward one. What do you what do you do with Kevin Falk? Oh my god, I didn't even think of that. Yeah. Can you tell the what? what is he still the SEC all time like all purpose? Yeah, all purpose. Yeah, I think he's all purpose. How do you tell him? Hey man, you got to go. I don't think you fire Kevin Falk, but you let the the new guy comes in there and say, "Hey, I don't want Kevin Falk anymore." I mean, it's not a sticking point, but at the same time, I don't. He's a guy you can keep, kind of thing. It's not a demand, but I don't think you. 
I don't think you just say, hey, we're firing the entire staff. I think you say, hey, everybody has a contract, and the new guy comes in and goes, hey, I want to get rid of this guy, this guy, and this guy. You might put a word in for Falk saying, hey, LSU legend, people love him. Yeah, you, you could probably. But at the same time, it's not some. I don't. I wouldn't go to the mattresses over it. Sorry, Kevin. I love you. Yeah, I mean, like, like having Ogeron's dream job fall apart, having Kevin Falk's position at the university, you know, he did so much for, especially in such a hard time for him personally. Like, it's just going to, it's it's going to be, you know, like, I, I think everybody is on board with firing Orgeron right now. And obviously they, you know, I think it's the right decision, but like, it's going to be a lot uglier and less fun than people are, are imagining it to well, be. Well, yeah, if you look at long-term, I, I will say this. While Falk might not be a coach going forward, there will always be a job for LS, at LSU for Kevin Falk. Right. I, I mean, he's Billy Cannon levels. Like, whatever. no matter what, LSU will embrace Kevin Falk because he is Kevin Falk, and he is awesome. And if you want to talk about this, is these were the golden years, he is the rock upon which we built the golden age of LSU football. I mean, he is the guy who changed it. He was the recruit who said, I'm staying home and I'm going to LSU. You cannot understate how important Kevin Falk is to LSU's program historically. He is, and I am not exaggerating, one of the five most important players in LSU history. Maybe maybe top three. I mean, he is is huge. Uh, Just what he meant there is a before Kevin Falk and there is an after Kevin Falk. And I'm saying this as someone who thinks Charles Alexander is the best running back in LSU history. Um, all of that said, yeah, you fire Orgeron. Okay, whatever. And you say, hey, everything's solved. Look at this roster. And what's going to come back next year? Everything ain't solved. I mean, how confident do you feel in this roster going forward? Well, I mean – it sort of depends on who you hire. Like, I think if – and who you retain. Like, transferring is easy. People are going to do yep. it. Uh, I think Eli Ricks might want to transfer for his last year. Um, you know, like, I know there are, there are all those Eli Ricks to Ohio State rumors. Uh, Ohio State's got major availability at cornerback, uh, and they are going to have a great team next year. Like, if I were Eli Ricks – and there were ever any smoke to me going to Ohio State, I'd probably bounce to Ohio State after this year. Um, but like, it de- it depends on who they retain. Like it, but if they were to go get Lane Kiffin, and run that offense with you know Boutte, who I don't think is really going to go anywhere, um, you know Jack Bash, who I definitely don't think is going to go anywhere, uh, and, and either Brian Thomas Jr. Who may, who knows? Um, Chris Hilton, all those guys. Like you actually may have something really explosive pretty quickly. Like you're going to be at least talented enough to be markedly better, but like you're not, you're not going to be a contender next year. Yeah, I mean, this. You look at this. I look at this roster, and you say, okay, what's going forward next year? The offensive line, there's just going to be nothing there. I mean, Kiner's your top running back, and he hasn't really had a chance to show what he can do just because he's getting hit in the backfield as soon as he gets the ball. Yeah, he's a good player, I think. But it's just like you're not looking at this going, hey, next year, you know, once we get through this, if we get a new coach next year, this team's going to run through the SEC. This is a great team. Or even 
a top 25 thing. You're looking at the roster and the problems are getting so deep. And also you're going to have that exodus. I think you're right about Eli Ricks. If there's a rebuild, he's, he's out. Um, and that's not an insult to him. I, I just think, no, I, I would do it. I just, yeah, I would go to Ohio state. You know, they're just, the players have just not developed in the last two or three years on their Orgeron. It, we've had these incredible recruiting classes that have not translated into production and it has caught up with him. And you're not, if you fire him, you're not going to have a great recruiting class. Probably. I mean, you're going to, you're going to take a one year hit. It's going to, yeah. I, I mean, you still probably bring in Howard because of his connection to the university, but yeah, I mean, it does not solve everything. It's not like you go in the next year and you're a top 10 team. It's I, I, if they were to retain people, I, I think they could be decent. Like they, they did just have a top three recruiting class and they are still green enough to develop. So, I mean, maybe, I don't know. Yeah, you, but you need to get them in there now. And so, yeah. Yeah. So you will talk coaching can, I don't want to talk coaching candidates until they're actually, we're a little bit further down the line. Cause Hey, maybe Orgeron pulls it out of the ditch. I mean, he's done that, it. About, be I mean, he has done it before. But this looks this looks a lot different than 2017. But you never know. Maybe they beat Kentucky, which I don't think is that unreasonable. Then they pull off an no. emotional win over Florida because they just get it up on hate alone. All of a sudden, and you can if you beat Kentucky, you can beat Florida. All of a sudden, you're three and one in the SEC. That Auburn game's looking like just Bo Nix magic. You know, all you need to do now is you know win one, two more games. Okay. Bam is out of reach, but other than that, you could still turn out a good year. It's it's not over, but as you can tell from the thirty minutes preceding this statement, I don't believe that's going to happen. But is it possible? Sure. Do you want to see the LSU twenty nineteen class just to kind of go oof? We have Derek Stingley. That's a hit. John Emery Jr. Yeah. Marcel Brooks, nope. Cardell Thomas, nope. Trey Palmer, eh. Maury Tampin, nope. Apu Ika, nope. nope. Tyrant Kai Davis Price, nope. Ray Parker, oof. Dante Starks, oof. That's your top 10. Yeah. Um, I think Kate York's the best player out of that class, right? He was in there. Right. I mean, outside yeah, of Well, over the last two years, on the aggregate, yeah, I mean, what he's what he's oh, produced yeah, for the program over the last two years, Kate York has produced more in twenty 2020 twenty and twenty one than Derek Stingley has. Yeah, yeah, he has the kicker. The kicker. You can make a solid argument that the kicker has been the most impactful player out of the two thousand nineteen class. And what was it rated? Definitely top five, right? Uh, it's- Five per two four seven. Okay. Yes, it was in the number five class in the country, and is I mean outside of Stingley and York, who else there is a starter? I mean, forget stars. I mean, who in there is a starter on this team? Uh, Jay Ward. Yeah, but at a different position. Okay, we'll give you Jay Ward. I, I'm I'll yeah. be generous. Reaching here. Trey Palmer plays. Yeah, but he's not a starter. He's a rotational guy. Uh, Ty Davis Price is a starter. Yeah, but not for long. And you know, honestly, he kind of. I'm more inclined oh, to give oh, you Cordell Flot. Okay, Cordell Flot. I'll give you Flot. Flot's awesome. been great. Charles 
Charles Turner flinches on fourth and one and changes the whole game. Oh, another huge play. Um, it's just it's a, coming out of a timeout. Yeah, coming out of a timeout. Sort. I that 2019 class failing to develop is what's going to end Orgeron's career at LSU. That that yeah that and and being an ideologue schematically and trying to kind of recreate what he wants to because he thinks he can all of a sudden. Yeah, he wants to go back to 2019 and you can't go home again. It, it's a on offense on defense he wants to go back to 2006 with Pete Carroll. I mean, it's it's a dream that it was a beautiful dream and we lived it, but you you gotta let it go. If if you love something, let it go. And I, I just think Ed cannot let go of that season and. I think he's out of ideas, and that's the worst thing to watch. It's like this guy who was so so flexible and so pragmatic. I'm like, hey, let's do this. It didn't work. Okay, here's another thing I'm going to try. And that 2017-2019 run, I mean, as someone who was really critical of the Orgeron hiring when it happened, I mean, I was amazed what he did. I, You know, he got me on board. I was just like, wow, he's doing er- everything I thought he wouldn't do. And here he is in 2021 doing everything I thought he would do. And right. that's even worse because we had this period where he was – he had changed. And the regression – if he, you know, if he rips off his shirt, we're, we're, you know, we're done. I can't do it. His, his Monday presser, it was only like 10 minutes long. It was, it was, the, it was the saddest thing I've seen from him this whole – his whole tenure. It just – even just the way people were asking him questions, it just all felt like, "Hey, man, we get it. We're gonna, we're gonna be respectful. We know what's about to happen." Just- yeah, I, I think that's the weirdest thing about this. I don't think people are mad. Like the end of the Les Miles era, people were mad at each other, and there was a lot of yelling about it, and people were furious, and it was just you know, it was bad just all around. I think the overwhelming feeling among the LSU fan base about Orgeron, it's more of sadness. It's like, man, we thought you had gotten it together and you just haven't. And we wish you could still be our coach, but it's just not going to work out. There's not like these angry columns calling for his job. It's just more like an inevitability. It's like, well, it's sort of how we kicked off. It's like, well, he's not going to be the coach anymore. And yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think there's anger there. I, I think there's a lot of like, hey, thanks for the 2019 season. That was awesome. One, one of the questions in the presser, I, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, of course, but it was essentially like, do you guys practice getting calls in or not? Ooh. Oh God, that's just. Yeah, I mean, they're, it's, they're it's not, a fair question. Not... I mean, yeah, yeah, it is. Because, because you like, you look at. You look at Max Johnson, and like you're reading his lips, and he's basically like, "Just give me something. Tell me what to do. Tell me what to do." And it's just, it's just so funny. All the just the weird, less things that happens are just repeating themselves. Although weirdly, the less stuff was in like the oh nine ten area, and he and he turned it around for a couple of years. And then yeah, and people just maybe history repeats itself again, but. Yeah, I, it it sure doesn't feel like it. Yeah, and also at like least, at least both teams were good though. This team is bad. Yeah, that's the difference. They were objectively good. Les never had a stretch like this. I mean, even the year they went three and five in conference, it took two miracles for them to go three and five. You had the the Ole Miss game, and then you know the miracle on Markham for God's sake. I mean, they call it a miracle. Actually, it was miracle on Markham too, I think. But still, like 
I mean, Les never his worst team went eight and five. And Ed, right now, we're trying to conceive of a way this team goes eight and five. Like that's the best case scenario for this team. Yeah, it really is. Like that 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 I mean, eight and five would be incredible at this point. That's that's five more wins. Yeah, I mean, we're talking eight and five might save his job. Probably won't. But I'm saying in the unlikely scenario, this team goes eight and five. That's that's kind of the mark we're looking at. I'm like, oh, okay, well, we might keep Orgeron with that because, you know, he pulled it out. I mean, that's the mark that got Les Miles fired. Right. And for us to be at that point, just less than two years removed from a national title is – that is a swift fall. And I realized there was a lot of stuff that happened completely outside of his control. And I try and give you a pass for 2020, but – if he had come back in 2021, this team had been really good. 2020 is all forgiven. But now with what you're seeing in 2021, 2020 starts to become relevant again. Because you're just like, okay, this was a precursor. You had all year to fix this. Yeah, I mean, look at Penn State. Like, they they had this oh, an even worse year than LSU last year. And they're the number four team in the country right now with a huge game this yeah. weekend. Like You knew what the problems were. Why didn't you fix it? I, and so in a way, that yeah. makes 2020 worse because of the context of 2021 now. And, and he keeps, and I appreciate him always for saying this, but when he does his pressers after losses, you know, o never, never throws his players under the bus. I agree. Never throws his coaches under the bus. Always says, you know, put this on me. This is on me. Well, after a while, it's just like, I'm tired of hearing this man fix it. Well, I mean, I, I forgot who tweeted it out this week, but they made a really good point. What is he supposed to say? Like, is there any possible thing Ed Orgeron could say that would everyone be like, oh, okay, cool, yeah. We, you know, it's all all right. I mean. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. I mean, he's being asked questions, and at least he's saying it's my fault. And what happens is it's your fault, you're going to get fired. And I, I hope there's a way that he can stay affiliated with LSU. Like, I, if we could keep him as recruiting coordinator, I would do it in an instant. <laughs> you know, have Ed just go out there and be the ambassador for LSU. Go recruit to your heart's content, but you're not allowed to be the head coach anymore. Yeah, it'd be uh, it'd be kind of wild if he's working back under Kiffin again, God, like at Tennessee. Yeah, well, like I said, I don't want to talk about candidates, but yeah, it's yeah. It, it is hard to not see Kiffin being successful in Ole Miss. Yeah, I mean, like the the only reason I, I bring that up is because. I think that's the only situation in which Ed Ogeron stays on. Like if Lane Kiffin, his buddy, is coaching the team. But yeah, but my point is, is I don't think anybody, we don't want to push him out, but I think he sees it. I mean, obviously he does. He's just up there like, dude, it's gotten away from me. And it's just sad. It's so sad right now. And I don't know if I can do a whole season of this. I really don't. And also my uh, way to take my mind off of it, LSU soccer has lost three in a row. I thought we had this. I thought we did too. They have fallen apart right now. Just. The, the girls climbed all the way up to five. Yeah, they right? were number five. And since then they've lost three all-conference games. And, yeah, they, it, it's been bad. Like, so, I know that. Everywhere's bad right now. We got basketball in a couple weeks, though. Yeah, Excited yeah. about that. Yeah, I got some fall ball going on for baseball. You know, gym's starting to, you know. We'll get excited. Gym school. Yeah, gym school. How, how how wild is it that LSU and Kentucky are playing each other 
and LSU fans are like, is it basketball season yet? And Kentucky fans are like, this is fucking awesome. Yeah, yeah. This football stuff is cool. Yeah. I mean, what are you going to do? Do we have any more questions or is that the, the only one of our... I had one more question. It's about it's about a candidate. And we'll do it. Yeah, if, if we have a question, we we're always going to answer questions. Uh, basically, the, the question is just thoughts on Gary Patterson as a replacement candidate. Oh, no. no, good lord, no, no. no, not a chance in hell. Do we? Do I want Gary Patterson? There are you know how there are those like certain coaches you just unreasonably hate. Gary Patterson's that guy for me. I, I well, I can't. Yeah, go for he it. He is the guy who is he, he is the guy who's always anything that goes wrong, he's always willing to point a finger at somebody else. Like when he had 12 players arrested, you know, in a meth ring, I think it was, he was like, Well, you can't blame me. Look what's going on at Baylor. Which on one hand, true. On the other hand, fuck you. You're the coach at TCU. You should be concerned about the stuff going on at your school. That just because, you know, your your guys are running afoul of the law doesn't make that there's domestic violence going on somewhere else. Okay. Like it's just such a non sequitur or this weekend against SMU. They go out there with a the flag and it goes on this whole thing about a lack of sportsmanship. I mean, just go blow yourself. I, I mean, that was fun. SMU TCU was one of the games of the weekend and then putting up that flag was so much fun. And I love teams that hate each other. And for Gary Patterson, after would be like, I want an apology because they pre-planned that. I mean, ugh, aren't, are we sick of the fun police? No. That's he's basically the Tony LaRusso of college yeah. football. He's a good coach, though. I mean, he is a good coach, but I hate him. He was. I, he was. I he was. hate him. Hate. He was a good coach. I mean, like, every year, like, you know, I, I, I do a lot of, like, you know, draft research and whatnot when the college football season's over. Um, and, like, every year there's, like, two, three TCU players being talked about for the, for the first round, potentially. Every year. Every year, and they are not a good team. They have like eight of these guys at once. They are, and they are still bad. Like that's crazy. And it's it, 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 like you're you're competing against like Texas and Iowa State to be the second best team in that conference. You are not competing against Georgia and Alabama. Like I, I fine, you get a pass for not beating Oklahoma, but like the fact that you're never in the, like never or infrequently in the top 25 despite putting players in the nfl every single year is crazy to me yeah, I, and good ones yeah so hard pass on gary patterson yeah, hard pass yeah. and I, I admit a lot of that's personal like if other so someone came up with a nice argument of like hey this is why gary patterson's a good coach fine but i live in big 12 country and i cannot stand the man i just hate him and I, I, you know, I don't think he's crooked or anything. I don't think. Once again, I know I brought up the drug problem. I don't think that was his fault. I just think how he handled it as a PR thing was just completely wrong. You know, don't don't point the finger at someone else. It's your program. Talk about what's going on at your school. So, yeah. Uh, so that question was courtesy of Killer King Cakes. Uh, we appreciate your question, Killer King Cakes. Everyone's entitled to their own opinion. Yeah. Just maybe, maybe. Not that one. No, he's he's entitled to it. I'm just allowed to say that I think he sucks. Um, not entitled to uh, Urban Meyer. <laughs> yeah, no, that's the one opinion you're not entitled to. If you if you suggest Urban Meyer, stop just right now. Stop. Like that is a no go. That guy I do blame for everything that happened in Florida. Like he he willingly turned a blind eye at stuff. And for the mess that LSU is in off the field right now, we cannot hire you know the walking HR disaster that is Urban Meyer. Yeah, I mean Zach Smith's benefactor. 
That'd be a that'd be a real real win for the legislature. Ugh. They'd love that. Ugh. So, on that happy note, hey, maybe we beat Kentucky this weekend. Sure, sure. Yeah, Kentucky. Maybe. Yay! Let's beat Kentucky. Go Tigers.